So this afternoon, Lord willing, we'll have hundreds of people here, many of whom would not come to churches very often. Certainly, um, I expect there would be many who don't believe that Jesus Christ is the uh, one way to know God. And that got me to thinking about this amazing claim that we have as Christians, that this is the truth. In a pluralistic society, it's an odd thing to say there is one way to God, but it is categorically the claim that Jesus makes. If you want to know God, you can only get to know him through his son, Jesus. If you want to know the truth, if you want to live forever, if you want to be saved, it is through Jesus' belief in his death and resurrection that we find that. Our subject matter this morning is based in 1 John, and it is, how can Christianity have exclusive claims to truth? 30 years ago, if you were asked, what is the biggest obstacle to world peace, it would have been the Cold War. I think there's a picture there that goes with that. The Cold War, the threat of nuclear holocausts coming out of the West versus the communist East... It used to be that political ideology was the barrier to peace in the world. Now it would seem, and I didn't know that uh, Rachel was going to be taking that theme, but religious exclusivity is really the greatest threat to world peace. It's certainly where most terrorism comes from in the last decade. People not getting on and religion, religion dividing people. Would you agree that religion does tend to divide? There's no, there's no question that it does. And it makes sense in a way. If you tell a group of people that you have the truth and you need to perform a certain bunch of tasks to secure eternal salvation by performing that truth, it has to lead to a feeling of superiority because you have the truth. You know what you have to do to please God to find salvation, and others, they don't have what you have, and so you sort of tend to become up here and there, down there, and the more down there they are, the more distant they become, and the less time I spend with these people who I'm superior to, and when, have you noticed that when you don't have much to do with a person or a people group, it's easy to believe all sorts of things about them? Anyone found that? It's easy to propagate certain stereotypes and caricatures about people that you don't know much about and you don't spend time with. <clears throat> and it sets up a situation where you stick to your tribe and you feel superior and sometimes you can passively allow stuff to be done to these people or even actively be involved in the marginalisation and the oppression of other groups with different beliefs. This process has been happening throughout human history. It's probably the main reason why religion tends to divide. People try to address the divisiveness of religion in one of two ways, at least, both of which don't work, and we see in 1 John why these strategies don't work. And 1 John also speaks about a strategy that does work. So two approaches to dealing with the divisiveness of religion that don't work and one that does work. Firstly, people try to deal with the divisiveness of religion by saying that it will go away. 
It's, it's bound to weaken and disappear over time. We came into the 20th century basically as a world starting to say we don't really need God. Science is advancing so rapidly. Human flourishing will really take over and there'll be no place for religion. The world wars dinted that idealism, yet still, by halfway through the century, it was widely believed amongst the intelligentsia of the West that religion would die out. What happened? It, it has not died out <clears throat> in the 20th century. Christianity goes from 9% to 50% in um, Africa in 100 years. In South Korea, from 1% to 30% in 100 years. China is doing something very similar. The irony is the more you try to stamp out religion, the more it grows. China threw out all its missionaries in 1940, and what happened? The church went wild, like wildfire. It was revival happening under the surface. I think the reason is here. 1 John 4, 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. What strikes you as odd about that first verse in our passage? I would have thought that John would have said, test the teachers because some of them are false. Test the prophets because some of them are false. What does he say? <clears throat> test the spirits. And what he's suggesting really is there is a spiritual reality underlying every belief we find put forward in the world. Test the spirits because human beings are made to connect with the spiritual. Every human being will worship something. And so religion is here to stay. Is that true? It's here to stay because we're spiritual beings. Whether you call your belief set a religion, we'll get to that or not, we are spiritual beings hardwired to believe in something the problem is the passage is warning us there are some things you could give your allegiance to, your faith in, your belief in that are not good. And you could actually start worshipping something that will enslave you rather than free you. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. The first strategy, let religion just do its thing and disappear. We know it hasn't worked in the last many thousands of years, and it's not going to work into the future. The second strategy is more prevalent and a lot more plausible, it would seem. Confine religion to the private realm. We're trying to work out how do you deal with the divisiveness of religion, and where does Jesus' exclusive claims to truth fit into this? So the second strategy is often confine religion to the private realm. Basically, let a thousand religious flowers bloom, have your religion, have your faith, but keep it in the private realm. That's Australia, isn't it? It's like, you can have your belief, just don't let it affect me. Well, this, there are some problems with this, because the first foundation of that strategy is the idea that all religions are the same. All religions are the same, so don't foist your belief on us. Like, you can have it, it's private, and unless you didn't realise this, we're sort of all heading in the same direction anyway. Look, look, let's just unite and agree all paths are equal. And the second part of it is, keep your beliefs in the private realm, in your private life, because 
Religion is not something that's scientific and you get a whole stack of beliefs that are based on sometimes archaic ideas. So there's no way you could bring all these ideas together and actually come up with a way forward for society. So, agree that all paths are equal and keep your views to yourself. Now, there's a hint in the text why these won't work either. Verse 5. John writes, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. The viewpoint of the world. We are not, we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognise the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. They, John is talking about the critics of Christianity. We talked about this last week in the sermon, Does God Exist? They have a particular viewpoint, in John's opinion. They're not unbiased, they are coming from a set of beliefs. So there are people in every age that are saying Christianity this is not true, keep it to yourself. But as they say these things, all paths lead to God, keep it to yourself, they're actually, without knowing it, speaking forth a position, a viewpoint. Let's consider these two um, aspects of this strategy. All religions are the same. All religions are equally valid paths to God. Now, some of you sitting here today would probably believe it. Some of us are Christians, but deep down, you think, you know, probably all paths lead to God. And you've heard the great illustration that backs this up, the blind man and the elephant. Anyone heard this one? You know, it's the foolproof idea. All religions are like the blind people. And one of the guys, one of the religions touches the elephant. He's blind, but and it's, it's a trunk. And he's like, well... Um, clearly, this elephant is long and flexible, a long and flexible creature. Um, and then there's another blind man holding the leg, and he says, they're short and thick creatures. Another one's touching the side, <clears throat> and he says, these elephants are huge and flat, and they be- begin to argue, and the, so the illustration goes, they suddenly realise, oh, maybe we've all got part of the truth, but the real truth is that we're all touching the same elephant and this illustration points towards religion and it's often said, it's often said, everyone doesn't realise it but you're all touching the same elephant. And it's almost like that's foolproof, isn't it? It's a great argument. Yeah, why, why wouldn't we just say that? What is the problem with that? What's the profound arrogance that is being illustrated there in that particular viewpoint? Who says you're the one without any blindness seeing us all fumbling around in the dark? Oh, 1 John's correct. You are speaking from a viewpoint. You have a viewpoint. You just somewhat arrogantly happen to think you're the only one who sees clearly. Does that make sense? And the argument is actually... Completely the opposite. No one has the right to say their viewpoint 
is the correct one, unless you're giving the illustration about the elephant and everyone else is blind. And you are the one who is giving that exact viewpoint. That doesn't work. It's actually far less even likely, logically, to work that all roads lead to the same place. And it doesn't even have to be a logical argument. It's just purely you stack up religious views and they're not all the same. They are sometimes diametrically opposed. So that one doesn't work. What about keep your religion private? You know, you can get strength and inspiration from your beliefs, but when we come into public discourse, keep all your views out there. What we're going to be is pragmatic. We are going to do whatever works. This is very much our society's approach, I think, in Australia. Unfortunately, it can never truly work. It's just totally impractical. What is religion? What is religion? I think I've got a list up here of some of the things that religion gives us. <clears throat> it answers some questions that are really big, like why are we here? What's wrong and wrong for, right and wrong for human beings to be doing? What's wrong with the human race? What will fix it? How do we decide right and wrong? What should we be spending most of our time doing? These are big questions with a set of answers that are implicitly religious because you can't prove these ideas in a lab. They come out of assumptions about what matters in life. It's faith often that answers these questions, whether you know it or not. I would put it to you this morning, it's impossible to leave your religious views at the door. What do you reckon? A bunch of people at council coming together to talk about development. Seems like that's all the, the only thing that every councillor says, I'm against development. I'm against development. But when people in the public space come together to discuss ideas, as if they are not bringing a bunch of views. We don't keep our views to our, ourselves and it's impossible to Take divorce laws, for instance. We could think, well, let's get together and make up some divorce laws for society <clears throat> and they will be completely pragmatic. That discussion will completely be dependent on are you in a Western society that's individualistic, that thinks marriage is about happiness of individuals primarily, or are you coming from a conservative society that says marriage is primarily for family and society, and so we're going to make it hard to get divorced. I'm not arguing for or against divorce. I'm just saying it's easier to have it happen in an individualistic society that sees marriage a certain way compared to a conservative society. <coughs> Excuse me. So what, what I'm putting forward is the idea that it's very hard, if not impossible, to keep our views outside of the public domain. So that leads us to an agreement or at least a, um, uh, a consideration that everyone has exclusive beliefs. Everyone has a set of beliefs that they think are right or you haven't got the energy to think about what is right and you think other people shouldn't have the energy to get it worked out so don't tell me what is the best way to live. Everyone has exclusive beliefs, 
But the question is this, which set creates the most loving, inclusive, reconciling, peaceful behaviour? Which set of exclusive viewpoints, and there are a whole lot in the world, which give us the best society? So one strategy that can work. Have you heard people say all the religions, they should just work out what they agree on? Right, that's a fair, fair statement. You've got a whole bunch of people, let's just sort of work, put them all together and work out what do they agree on and then we'll run with that. I would suggest to you a far more intelligent way to move forward is to say which one is correct and what is unique about the best one and focus on that. So I want to just suggest to you what is unique as a question about Christianity in the world of ideas? What is unique about the Christian faith amongst the religions of the world? Three things that 1 John 4 tells us that are unique about Christianity. And when you really understand them and take them to heart and let the Spirit of God allow these beliefs to work through us as individuals in the church, we will become agents of peace. Three things. The origin of Jesus' salvation is unique. The purpose of Jesus' salvation is absolutely unique. The method of Jesus' salvation is unique. The origin of Jesus' salvation, verse 2, 1 John 4, verse 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. John says Jesus Christ has come to us. Not just born, though he was born. Jesus Christ has come. He was somewhere before he was in the world. This is an implicit claim here, but it's very much explicit elsewhere in the writings of John. John is suggesting this Jesus is more than just human. The origin of salvation is God himself. Christianity puts forward that salvation comes through God-man, Jesus Christ. He was somewhere else, and then he came to this world. So the first unique is that Jesus Christ is God and man. What about the purpose of Jesus' salvation? Very unique, very much unique. Jesus Christ, we're told, has come in the flesh. Why in the flesh? Why is that important? This is unique, that Jesus Christ, the Saviour of the world, has come in the flesh. Other religions, and it sounds like I'm being really general, but you do the study, do the study, you will find the vast majority of what we would call religions are all about the purpose of salvation is to liberate us from the flesh. That's what religion's about, to escape the flesh. The flesh is the problem. The physical world is our problem. Many of the Eastern religions say the physical world is an illusion and you overcome it through changes of consciousness. Other religions say that the flesh is real, but it's bad and through morality and spiritual experience you can escape and go to heaven. In fact, a lot of Christians believe this, certainly in the 50s and 60s, until there was more of an understanding of resurrection and the power of salvation being found in new creation through Jesus. What does the resurrection point to? Christian salvation says that when God became a man, 
in Jesus. When he rose from the dead and was clothed with a brand new body, he was saying, guys, this is the first fruits of what's to come. I am not trying to escape this dirty flesh and float around in the sky as a spirit. No, God is actually going to redeem the physical because he created it good and he's going to redeem it and make it right once more. Can you see This is profoundly different to escaping the bad flesh, escaping desire and ceasing to exist. Is anyone with me? Am I losing you all? The purpose of salvation, the purpose of salvation in the Christian worldview is not to escape the world, but to be involved in the transformation of the world through Jesus. If someone says to you, all roads lead to salvation, great question to say is, what does salvation look like? What's salvation? Are you talking about ceasing to exist? Are you talking about nirvana? Are you talking about floating around with angel wings in heaven? Or are you talking about a renewed, resurrected earth, Romans 8, creation groaning for salvation through Jesus, the picture of the resurrection, via paradise with Jesus, disembodied state, however that works, or sleeping in the memory of the Lord, but ultimately in Jesus we are resurrected from the dead to live on a renewed earth. That is a salvation offered by Christianity. I want to challenge you. You tell me another religion on the earth that gives something as real as that. There is not one. That's what Jesus is doing when he is finding a way through sin to offer to us by faith in him to live forever. And the method, the method is completely unique. In all other religions, we're told, if you want to be saved, you have to perform the truth. You have to perform, which means you have to love God, you've got to love other people, you have to love your family, you have to love your neighbour. And if God sees you loving him and loving your neighbour and loving your family, then God will bless and save you. That's not what the gospel says. Though we become loving people and doing all that's good. Look at what verse 10 says. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. All religion is not the same. All roads do not lead to the same place. The method of salvation is unique in Christianity. In Christianity, the Bible tells us God comes and sacrificially pours himself out in Jesus, suffers for the people who don't love him, who aren't loving one another. Jesus is a wonderful teacher to teach us how to live, but primarily he is a saviour who lives the life that we should have lived, dies the death we should have died in our place and in our stead pays the penalty for sin. So that non-loving, non-virtuous, non-performers of the truth can be saved by radical grace. Amen? This is the gospel of Christianity. This is what's unique. Verse 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another. This is what people get excited. People just want to take this one verse. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. It's a well-quoted verse. People say, let's just love, let's love. What does 1 John 4 say? You're not allowed to just get to the part on love without actually hearing verse 1, 2, 3. 
There's a way that this can happen, and it's through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the God-man who came and lived and died in our place. Very, very quickly, I just want to unpack the significance of these wonderful truths backwards. We ended up with grace. The method of grace, the method of salvation is grace. The Bible says we are not saved by my performance. Religion says you are saved by your performance. If I'm saved by my performance, this is a real key to this sort of bit complex message. If I'm saved by my performance, it sets up a slippery slope towards arrogance, doesn't it? If I am saved by what I do, I'm always going to feel like I'm a little bit better than you because you haven't done what I've done. And this is where we began our message today. The problem with religion is it divides. You have to look down on people. And you know what's interesting? So many people in Australian society now are what you might call secularists. They're actually, they would say, no, I completely disagree. I'm not religious. I'm not spiritual. I don't believe in anything. But have you noticed that the secular mindset can be quite condescending to us, some of us, primitive religious types? Yes? Which viewpoint creates the most humility? The funny thing is the secularist can be just as proud, just as condescending to the moralist because you're primitive as the moralist can be... Uh, see themselves as superior to the secularists, the dirty secularists. They're the ones who get us into trouble because they don't honour God. What does the gospel say to this? The gospel says, you didn't get saved by anything but radical grace. If you're a Christian, you're not better than them. You're not more wise, more virtuous. You didn't get into salvation to live forever entry later on into a new world, you didn't get that because you performed some truth. You believed and received a gift. You agreed, I'm a sinner and I need grace. You know what the gospel does? It says to us every day, you could, you could easily meet a person from another religion who's kinder than you, more generous, actually more loving. I'm not suggesting Christians aren't led towards being amazing replicas of Jesus. But you know, the gospel just reminds us there are other good people in the world, but they're not saved unless they believe Jesus died for them and rose again. The gospel humbles you before people who don't believe the same as you. Tell me another system that does that. If we want to Stop religion dividing. I'm, I'm putting forward Christianity is your way to go. Because proper, real Christians don't look down their noses at anybody. Amen? We're broken people. What about the resurrection? If the purpose of salvation is only the next life, it's only to escape this world and float around in heaven, then convert people and forget about the world. But if the purpose of salvation is a new heaven and a new earth and a transformed world where death and poverty and disease and suffering are gone, then Jeremiah 29 speaks to us. 
where the people of Israel are told to go into the pagan city of Babylon and seek its peace, seek its prosperity. If the resurrection is what uh, salvation is all about, then we are meant to be whole people ministering to people, doing good like five threads to the whole person, to the whole community. I think we're meant to work for the shalom of Hornsby, aren't we? If the resurrection is our model of salvation, it's all through Jesus, but it's so that we bring wholeness to people. We serve them. We serve the city where we live. And the last distinctive, the origin of salvation working backwards. If Jesus is not just a human being, he's not just a prophet, he's not just a teacher, but he's God. A lot of people would say, well, how could you not become condescending and arrogant if your religion is based in a founder who was God and everyone else is just a man? How could, how could you not? Must I sort of feel like that a little bit sometimes? Well, Jesus is God. It sort of makes you feel like you're on the winning side. Like it's... But Christianity is not ever meant to take you down that path. Our founder is God. So therefore, I can look down my nose at you. What it's meant to do is actually remind us, because Jesus is God, this is ultimate reality. This is the way we're meant to treat people, the way he treated people. In Jesus, we see ultimate reality, and it looks like this. A man on a cross, loving people who don't love him, forgiving people who are abusing him, sacrificially serving people who oppose him. And when the early Christians took that on and realized that their whole way of living, their religion, their faith is based on Jesus Christ, they couldn't coerce or be cruel to anyone because Jesus showed them what ultimate reality was. Amen? Christianity came into a world of paganism that had this bunch of gods for everyone. Zeus and Aphrodite and uh, Diana and, you know, pick the god. Christianity came into the first century and said there's only one way. It is exclusive. Only through Jesus can you live forever. Only through Jesus can you be saved. And it produced the most inclusive group of people who ever walked the planet. Amen? That's what Christianity does. Can I encourage you, brothers and sisters, don't shy away from the truth that Christianity claims exclusivity of truth. Because when it is performed by the grace of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in the way it's meant to be, it's the most inclusive way we can possibly live. Neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, all are one. If we take Christianity into the core of our lives, we can only truly bring peace and flourishing to those around us. Today we will have uh, hundreds of people who come from different viewpoints Would you pray that Steve Rodder, as he shares for five minutes, 
might share in such a way that the Spirit of God prompts many who are here today to seek out what is true in life. We're going to sing a song together.